Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing Deep Red from 1975. Directed by Dario Argento, written by Dario Argento and Bernardino Zapponi, starring David Hemmings, Daria Nicolodi, Gabriele Lavia, and Masha Mariel. In this film, a psychic's murderer kicks off a string of killings, but don't worry, a jazz pianist is on the case. If you're new to the show, we are going to do some spoiler-free discussion on the movie for the first 15 or 20 minutes. And then after that, we're going to start spoiling things. We'll walk through the plot in detail. So uh, if you haven't seen the movie, you can duck out and watch it on Shudder once you hear a little transition music. And uh, Ashvin, have you seen any Argento bef- after, aside from Suspiria? I think Suspiria is the only one I've seen. How about you? Yeah. I've been catching up. I feel like I've seen seven or eight of his. Wow. Um, That's impressive. He's I'm getting there. He's got like uh, how many? He's, he's 30, 40 films. Man, he probably has a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Uh, and all the ones you've seen, have they all been mostly giallos or uh, more like on the Suspiria side of things? I think most of the ones I've seen from him have been giallos. I think the only one I saw of his that wasn't a giallo was Suspiria. Well, were Suspiria and its sequel, Inferno. Oh, okay. Thematic sequel, I suppose. Sure. Yep. He has this whole uh, three film series called like the Animal Series or something. Uh, it's like the cats something. Yeah, right. I I've, I hadn't really seen it referred to that way before, but pr- probably what the Cat and Iron Tales. What what's the other one? Four Flies on Gray Velvet. Oh, the Bird with the Crystal Plumage, the Cat of Nine Tails, and Four Flies on Gray Velvet. Yeah, is that the three. Yep. Have you seen those? I've seen all of them, but the Four Flies on Gray Velvet. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is our first Jalo movie I think we've ever covered. Yeah. Um, Suspiria technically isn't so. Right, because it has like a supernatural element potentially. Yeah. Right. Yep. Okay. So into the definition of what Jalo is, it's. They are Italian murder mysteries, essentially. Uh, They're often cited as the predecessors of slashers. The word giallo is the Italian word for yellow, which comes from the covers of pulp murder mystery novels that were popular in Italy. Some typical traits of giallo films include a mysterious killer who is not revealed into the final act. He or she is often referred to by fans of the genre as the black glove killer due to frequent shots that show only the killer's hands clad in black gloves. Uh, you know that black gloves point reminds me it's debatable that maybe we have covered a giallo a Spanish giallo in pieces oh yeah I, th- I was thinking about that movie while I was watching this um, that was a Spanish director yes it was oh damn I totally forgot I thought that was like a, an American film yeah yeah so I think that's debatable I mean if country of origin is a I don't know if that dictates the genre or not. I don't think it has to necessarily, but I would say Pieces fits the form pretty well. For sure, yeah. A lot of similarities. Yep. Um, it's not uncommon for the killer to have had some psychological trigger that compels them to begin their killing spree. Pieces again. The murder scenes in Ajala are typically as violent and horrific as a horror film, Our protagonist is usually an average Joe or Jane who finds themselves embroiled in the mystery and is often working to solve it with little or no help from the police. And this person is often a traveler or a tourist. Hmm. 
The genre also has some of the wackiest and longest titles of all time, in my opinion, including The Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion, Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key, Erotic (laughs) Games of a Respectable Family, The Iguana with the Tongue of Fire, Who Killed the Prosecutor and Why, The Killer Reserved Nine Seats, The Police Are Blundering in the Dark, and No Thanks, Coffee Makes Me Nervous. (laughs) That's awesome. Wait, are these all like translations from like Italian titles? I think a good chunk of them are translations from, but direct translations oftentimes. Uh, Oh, okay. Like, No Thanks, Coffee Makes Me Nervous is the Italian title. Damn, that's hilarious. (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, pretty awesome. Oh, man, Uh, that reminds me, remember Amityville, uh, it got translated into, uh, its Italian name was like a really long name. Um, I forget what it was, but I wonder if that was around the time of Giallo's... uh, Oh, yeah, Jalos. Was it? Yeah. When was the Amityville Horror? 1979, I want to say. Oh, okay. And the 70s was the boom of the genre. Of the genre. I feel like um, this one kind of hit at the peak, right sure. in the middle of it. They started in the 60s. Mario Bava kicked things off um, with The Girl Who Knew Too Much from 1963, which is considered the first one. Okay, got it. Uh, haven't we covered some Bava film? We haven't covered a Bava film, but you and I, when we first got the idea to start this club, you were visiting me in Asheville, oh. and we watched Jaws, and then we watched Black Sabbath, that which was, is by Mario Bava. Yeah. Is that like an anthology? It's an anthology, yeah. Right. right. Okay. And uh, But that one doesn't count as a, a Jalo film. No, and I don't think any of the segments within it are Jalo either. Right. Okay. Maybe one comes kind of close. Okay. But, yeah. All right. Well, good. Good description of it. I mean, uh, to me, it feels like it's it's like a Hardy Boys crime story with some uh, more gore. But w- w- what's your take? Is it murder mystery? Yeah. I mean, murder mystery. It, it also makes me think about movies or even like Stephen King stuff and the appeal of people solving a crime or you know, in Stephen King's case, often solving solving some sort of supernatural mystery hmm. without the help of the police, or you could say without the help of just the ruling class, if you want to interpret it that way, like kids without the help of parents, mm. party boys type stuff, like you said. Yep. It, it's a similar theme, and I wonder how long that story archetype has existed of people kind of solving a crime even though they have no authority on the matter or right. <laughs> like no responsibility has been put on them by society to solve this. <laughs> They've just taken it upon themselves with, in some cases, little to no experience, but in others like the Hardy Boys, you know. They, yeah, just good Samaritans. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. There's something fascinating. About, I think there's something that fascinates people when they see a story like this because, you know, sure. you think... You see yourself in so many movie characters, so you think, hey, maybe I could do that. Yeah, I could take someone to crime someday. <laughs> On some level. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, over the weekend, I just saw this movie called uh, Murder Mystery, uh, some like cheesy movie with like Jennifer Aniston and Adam Sandler, and it kind of plays on the whole like murder mystery parties and stuff where someone's been killed and it's like a whodunit. Um, so that, that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? Yeah, I mean, it is essentially a whodunit, but... There's something specific about these that those are, uh, when I think of a whodunit, I often think of a bunch of people like locked in the same space accusing each other. Yeah. Um, 
not like someone going out into the world finding clues and being right, pleased. right. And and Ajalo, it's kind of like a character you saw earlier in the movie. Like you you meet a bunch of people along the way, and one of them eventually is the actual killer. Mm, okay. Um, when I think of whodunits, I think of a bunch of characters trapped in a space pointing a finger at each other. Sure, sure. Yeah, this, these are a bit different. Right. <laughs> the, yeah, all right. That's fair. Um, Argento is often associated more so than any other director with Jalo films, and he has said that he doesn't care about plot, which I think is no coincidence that him and Jalo go hand in hand because that seems like another tentpole of the genre is a... <laughs> Maybe a disregard for the narrative a little bit. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. I, I don't get how you can not care about plot when, like, the core of these films are murder mysteries. Like, it seems like plot and, like, having a thread that ties things together is pretty pivotal to doing a solid murder mystery. Yeah, it's really interesting, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in the review. And it's not that the plots don't exist. It's that they just don't necessarily follow so tightly a traditional structure. Like, they'll go off on little tangents for no reason at all, or they could be confusing and disorienting. Mm. Uh, on purpose? But it, well, that might be debatable. I think a lot of academics and film theorists really put a lot of stock in that and interpret that as being intentional and being what makes these movies so special. Mm. But you could also just look at it as haphazard. You know, Argento yeah. says he doesn't care about plot. And I think if you look at the reviews for movies like this, you know, a good chunk of people are fans of the genre and they're giving them positive reviews. And then you'll get a person or two who's just like, this is garbage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I've seen some I mean, things I think both, both things are valid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's uh, definitely uh, it's. I, I feel like uh, some of the reviews I read are like people appreciating how much of a garbage piece of film it is. Sometimes, some kind of combination. Sure, right, and they're also. It's very artsy garbage too. Like it's alluring. There's blood and guts. They're often kind of sexy as well. There's something yeah. sexy about this period of film too, where everything's just technicolor saturated. Argento especially really focuses on beautiful architecture throughout a lot of his movies too. So they're just pretty movies to look at. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely you can tell. Uh, I, I assume all the other Jalo directors too are doing like pretty artistic uh, scenes or like yeah, backdrops or cinematography kind of stands out in this genre. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd really like to see more. I mean, the majority of the Jalos I've seen have been, or Jali, depending on how you want to say it, are Argentos, but I've seen, uh, I guess I've only seen one from Fulci, seen a couple from Bava. Bava's really, I mean, he's super artistic and I think had to be a big influence on Argento. Sure, yeah. His are a little less incoherent. Oh yeah, sure. From what I've seen. Right, okay, a little more tied together. That's good to know. Yeah, right, but even Argento kind of, it depends on which movie you're watching as far as the, Incoherence and Suspiria has a lot of confusing, like what the hell's actually going on here elements mm-hmm. to it. But since that's supernatural, you could argue it has a place more there than in these films. But yeah, all up for debate. Yeah, yeah, that's a hard one. Like how much of it is purposeful versus bad editing uh, or artistic? 
Right, and and it may not even just be so binary as purposeful or accidental. It might just be if Argento doesn't feel tied to narrative, he can do whatever he wants. Sure, that he feels artistically serves the movie. So yeah, good on him. Yeah, I guess he sure. deserves that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, he's very respected. He's often referred to as a master of horror, the king of giallo, etc. Yeah, um, so yeah. yeah. And crazy, he's still alive. He's like in his eighties, still out there. He just directed a film last year, a Jalo film called Dark Glasses. Whoa, that's crazy. Have yeah. you seen it? Yeah, it's pretty good, actually. Wow, damn, still it's directing. It's definitely of a lesser quality in some senses than, you know, people aren't going to write papers and theses on Dark Glasses like they do Deep Red, but in some ways it was a stronger movie because the narrative wasn't quite so incoherent. Okay. And uh, it was out of Jalo as well? Yes, it was. Okay. Uh, this film, uh, it sounds like he was doing Jalos for a while, he went away from it, then he came back and like this was his return to this format. Is that right? Yeah, I want to say it was like a historical dramedy, the movie he did before that, and then this was his return to Jalo. And many people consider this his best film. Wow. Really? Even better than Suspiria? Yeah, yeah. And I think... A lot of people also consider Deep Red the quintessential Jalo movie. Mm, okay. So fascinating. We'll, we talk about that in the review as well. It has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. uh, critic score, 86% from users. Um, yeah, there's books written about the movie. I think Argento in general seems to be very popular with film nerds, film theorists, academic types. Right. You don't need this? I think we have one or two on our server. Oh, okay. I think we might have one or two on this call. Oh, <laughs> no, just, I, just, just one of them. Certainly not. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I read some of those things, but sure. <laughs> don't always subscribe. Right. Um, yeah, I think we'll talk more about film theory and the appeal of of this movie to people who are into film theory later on in the review. Okay. The box office, we, the number I have is 3,709 billion lira in Italy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, translate that, or like, yeah, do the I, oh, I tried. I tried pretty hard to try to translate that to today's dollars, but I, I couldn't it's quite. too hard, yeah. Yeah, that is a defunct currency. <laughs> um, and it made 630,000 in the U.S. at the time. But I do know this about that number. It was the sixth highest grossing movie in Italy that year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so it did well. Uh, depending on where you look, some people say it was well regarded at the time. Others say it had mixed or negative reviews. But certainly modern day critics really have come to appreciate this movie if if past critics didn't. The film was scored by the group Goblin, who we heard in Suspiria. And this was their first time collaborating with Argento. And they would do so many more times. Yeah. Soundtrack sold three million copies. Wow. That's awesome. It's kind of a banger, even if it doesn't always fit quite right. <laughs> I know it really is. It's it's catchy music and like, uh, yeah, Goblin's a pretty sweet band. They, they they're a good also sound. like pretty diverse in their sound. I mean, this score is pretty different than the Spirit's score. Mm, it is, yeah. I wouldn't hear both and think Goblin. Right? Yeah, I was surprised uh, going back at uh, seeing that it was Goblin. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it definitely d- jumps out uh, more prog rock, you think, than uh, Suspiria. Yeah, it's a it's a little fishy. Yeah, Suspiria had like I think some weird uh, timing and more synth I think going on. 
Yeah, Suspiria's was definitely more dark and, yeah. I don't know, lived in a world like, the same world as metal music, even though I'm not sure that's what I would call it. Mm, okay. It's kind of like dark noise. Right, right. Yeah. Um, let's see, what else? The One of the stars of this movie, Daria Nicolodi, was Argento's girlfriend from 1974 to 1985. Um, she played the journalist, the reporter. Yeah. And they had a daughter named Asya, who is an actor and filmmaker herself. And uh, Daria starred in a few of our gentle swims, and she actually co-wrote Suspiria. Oh, cool. I didn't realize yeah. that. Good for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have a whole lot else. Carlo Rambaldi did the special effects, along with Germany and Itali. I mean, Jalo also has some some eye-opening special effects in, in some of these super vicious kills. Some sure. of it looks pretty real not only in this movie but in others mm-hmm. yeah I, I thought that's another thing that Jalo is known for is uh like vivid red kind of blood like where i, I don't know is it supposed to look realistic i don't think so i think it's supposed to look more beautiful than right. realistic right right okay yeah that makes sense um yeah. did you read that uh this was originally like a 500 page script uh got T- tailored it down to 300 pages yes you're right <laughs> I can't even imagine a 500 page script My I God. know and, uh, uh, w- the, the version you and I watched uh, it's it's the uncut version right so it's like uh, almost two hours long well the version I watched was it was cut it was an American version that was 22 minutes shorter so there was a US mm. version that was released theatrically that was 22 minutes shorter Okay. and it had some of the gore cut out this version, at least the version on Shutter that Joe Bob hosted an episode on, because I watched it along with through Joe Bob's show, uh-huh. Joe Bob Briggs. It was that version, the twenty-two minutes shorter, but the gore was added back in. Uh, okay, okay, shoot. But yeah. yeah, did you watch that? The European version is one hundred and twenty-six minutes, so it's a little over two hours. Did you watch that? One? Oh damn! I'll also check, man. I mean, are both on Shutter? I don't think so. I think, honestly, if you watched that one, some of the scenes that didn't make it in the U.S. version were never dubbed in English. Oh, okay. So it would have alternated between yeah. English dubbing and Italian. Okay, got it. Yeah, then probably didn't watch that one. And actually, I saw this movie back in the mail DVD mailing days of Netflix, which they still do, but back when that was all they did. Yeah. And that's that's the version I saw because I remember... And I don't think it was even subtitled, or if it was, I didn't know how to turn them on. I oh. remember large chunks of the movie being in Italian and being like, <laughs> well, I don't know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's tough. Damn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was actually surprised that this was in English. And it looked like it was actually shot in English, and then, um, except for, like, I think one actor or actress uh, spoke Italian. But otherwise, yeah, I was expecting this to be an Italian film and was surprised. Yeah, that's another thing about giallos and Italian movies in general is they often don't even have any sound recording equipment on set because they know they're just going to dub everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even in modern times that that exists to an extent. But yeah, the characters, the actors speak in whatever language they want to or whatever right. is their native language. And then uh, there's a giant dubbing industry in Italy and and voice actors that are just as famous as real actors. And so it just goes into that machine and then it's dubbed from there. Got it. Um, But 
the one character or actor that did dub himself was David Hemmings. Oh, he dubs himself. Okay, the, got the it. The lead is Marcus. His voice is his voice. He's recording it after the fact. But Oh, so you're saying none of the other actors or actresses' voices are themselves? No, it's not even that they're it's a whole separate industry. You you Whoa. go appear on camera, you do your stuff, you're speaking your lines, but no one no audio equipment picks that up, then it's sent out to a um indus- a dubbing industry and they have their own actors that look at the actors' lips and read the lines appropriately. That's crazy. That seems yeah. like so much harder than just having the actors like yeah, recording the actors while they're doing their stuff. <laughs> right? Yeah. I feel like I've heard stories about like movies that had multiple countries working on them or US Italy's shot in Italy with an Italian crew where the crew just makes a ton of noise on set because they're not even used to the fact that there's something picking up audio. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. It's an adjustment. Right. Yeah, be quiet right. on set. Yeah. It is really wacky, but that's just the way they do things. I, I feel like there's a history there that somebody on our Discord server told me about once oh. that had something to do with the politics of Italy, but now I can't remember. Okay. Damn, that's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Any other background before we start going into the plot? Uh, just the legacy of Jalo's, um You think... Uh, so, yeah, this was all, like, in the 70s and then in the 80s in the U.S. We had, like, the slasher boom. So you hold that, like, a lot of that was inspired or direct uh, results of, of the Jello era? Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. And, like, things like um, the first-person view of the killer, like, we remember when we watched Black Christmas, we were like, hey, that Black Christmas was doing it before Halloween. Um, I recently watched Cat of Nine Tales from Argento from 1971, and he was doing it there. Hmm. Um, okay. And Peeping Tom did that a U.S. Yeah. I think that was a U.S. movie in 1960. So it's not right. like Jello started it, but a lot of the tropes kind of fell into place from Jello. And if you doubt the, the link between those two things, I would recommend that people watch A Bay of Blood from 1971, directed by Mario Bava. Yeah. It is extremely similar to Friday the 13th and its sequels. Huh. Interesting. Right? Yeah. I actually doubt that, but I don't want to watch that film. So if someone else does, let me know. <laughs> But yeah, that, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. You did you not see the tie when you watched this movie? Uh, yeah, but I feel like a lot of that stuff was already being done here, and uh, that even like those slashes in the '80s are like much more effective and scarier, um, and less of like whodunits than like like they built out the villains a lot more in terms of like making them scarier. Uh, so I yeah I, I didn't see a direct connection and I felt like it's, it might be a little bit overplayed but maybe I need to see that movie to really tie those together. Yeah, I feel like if you saw that movie you might have a an aha moment. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean slashers aren't the slashers, when you think of the golden era of slashers from 78 to 84 they aren't whodunits. It's Freddy Krueger Friday yeah. the 13th or Jason and and uh, well the first Friday the 13th is a bit of whodunit but nevertheless well, yeah, true. the killer is like the star of the movie and it's not about the mystery. Yeah. And you had like Texas Chainsaw Massacre early 70s, I think. Mm-hmm, so right. you had like cool slashes going on here in the US that I yeah, I don't I don't know if they were like taking notes from these jallos or could have even been the other way potentially. Well, I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was 1974, the first jallo movie was 11 years earlier. So mm, Okay. It's not necessarily like they were happening at the same time, but jallo had like a 10-year head start. 
Got it. Even but though, if you're one, of, if you want to say Psycho and Peeping Tom are the first slashers in right. 1960, you know, there is some parallel evolution there for sure. Okay. okay. But Psycho and Peeping Tom, Psycho especially, is a very different movie than most slashers. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, is it? Um, it's a similar thing where you have. I I guess you don't have like that high of a body count. I think. Psycho. Yeah. I mean, I get it as like a proto slasher for sure, but. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Certainly not as much of an influence as, as some other movies. I, I don't know, in my personal opinion. Sure. All right. I think we talked about it on the last episode that we got to go back and do Psycho soon. We do. I can't believe we haven't done it yet. Yeah. All right. All right. Anything else? That's all I got. All right. Well, I'm going to hit the Ohio connection. Every movie we watch is connected to Ohio by our good friend Alex. Uh, Ohio is our home state, and Alex runs the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you live in the area, swing by for some beer and food. And Alex says, Deep Red is a 1975 Italian thriller film directed by Dario Argento about a musician who investigates a series of murders performed by an unseen figure wearing leather gloves. The film score was composed and performed by Italian progressive rock band Goblin. Known primarily for their film scores, Goblin's score filmography includes Argento's Suspiria, Tenebre, Phenomena, and Sleepless. Additionally, they have multiple collaborations with famed horror director George Romero, including 1978's Zombie, with Z-O-M-B-I, the Italian version of Dawn of the Dead, and 1977's Martin, a film about a troubled young man who believes himself to be a vampire, traveling on an overnight train from Indianapolis to Pittsburgh. While not specified in the film, the train routed from Indianapolis to Pittsburgh would inevitably travel through the great state of Ohio. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he said that was a reach because this is a foreign film. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be hard. Those uh, are always tough. But nice. <laughs> that train had to go through Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. Um, I guess before I go to the plot, maybe I should make our announcement. Um so we are officially a tomato meter approved publication, which means that our reviews will count towards a movie's Rotten Tomatoes critic score. And we want to thank all of you for listening, reviewing, following, and sharing the show. Couldn't have pulled that off without you, so we really appreciate it. We're really excited about this. Uh, I think I'm most excited for the fact that we have the power to swing the score for smaller films like Jack Frost up about 10 percentage points. <laughs> Did you notice a, a score change when you put yours in? I submitted my review for Jack Frost. I, I think it bumped up like five points or something. Nice. Five percentage points. You're doing God's work out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, this is really cool to, to Ashwin and I, regardless of what people think about Rotten Tomatoes. Um, yeah. And we just wanted to thank you guys for it. We couldn't have done it without you. Yeah, thanks everyone for all the feedback and getting us to this point. That's awesome. For sure. Okay, well, let's uh, spoil this movie. We're going to walk through the plot. We're going to review it in detail. But Ashwin, can you can you hold on a sec? There was a painting hanging up in our bathroom, um, but I noticed right before we started recording that it's missing, so I might go ask my wife if she knows what happened. To All right, me. sounds good. Okay, I'll be right back. All right. Hey, man, I'm back. Hey, you find that painting? Well, so apparently the painting, which was a portrait of me, was actually just a mirror, my wife informed <laughs> me. 
<laughs> it's crazy how those things work, right? It's pretty yeah. easy to get those things confused. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> that's like uh, some uh, Connery happening there. <laughs> right? <That's>, yeah. <laughs> I feel taken advantage of. Yeah, I know. How much you pay for that painting? <laughs> you brought it home, put it up. <laughs> you walk away from it, it's gone. So it's proud. Yeah. Um, okay, so this film opens with a scene that is mostly obscured from our view, but we see what looks like someone being murdered and a knife falling at a child's feet while some eerie children's music plays in the background. The film then jumps about 20 years into the future, which is modern day, and a psychic medium named Helga Allman is being featured at a parapsychology conference. While she's on stage, she suddenly becomes overwhelmed by something she's picking up from someone in the audience. She recounts what she's seeing, and it sounds a bit like that murder that we saw in the film's cold open. We get a first-person view of someone in the audience standing up and leaving the theater at this point. So, essentially, someone in the audience is the killer from that opening scene, and she can she can sense it. What did you think of this setup? Um, I, I like that opening scene. It's interesting enough with the, with the kill. And then I think this scene does a great job of like establishing Argento's uh, style for the film. Like uh, you get a lot of like red colors all over the place in this auditorium. You see like some of this camera work coming in at the different angles, and then the killer point of view falling around. Um, I love like the uh, the that that woman with the blonde hair on on stage against like the the red backdrop. So you're you're getting it's like his his uh, color palette, I guess, of the film. So I, I thought this is kind of a, a cool way to introduce and set up the movie um but kind of hokey but but fun what would what, you think agree <laughs> hokey but fun yeah <laughs> um i agree but i wanted to ask you about this i didn't notice when i saw that i was like oh yep here here's the red yes yeah. you know suspiria is a very red movie some of the others are as well but i didn't notice as much red throughout the movie after this this but yeah this was the reddest could, scene I couldn't tell if I just kind of... Yeah, I mean, this is a super red scene. Hard yeah. to out-red this scene. It is. But <laughs> I just... I couldn't tell if I had just kind of stopped paying attention to turn that p- part of my brain off or if red kind of dropped out of the color color palette a little bit. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Because, like, yeah, the title is on your mind that this is deep red. So you expect that theme to go throughout the whole film. But I feel like it switches from here into more of, like, a pastel for the rest of the film. Right, yeah. Yeah, it, P- pastels, black and whites. Yeah, that's really weird, I isn't think, it? It is weird, but I also think a lot of it has to do with the architecture and interior decorating of Italy at the time. Like, Mm. so many of his characters live in, I don't know if that's just the way places look in Italy and all the buildings were made with care. It's, I think it's Baroque architecture from what I've read, although I know nothing about architecture. There's a lot of ornate beautiful, colorful stuff. And I think the color palette was pastels maybe for that reason and mm. black and white in a lot of ways for that reason, but I'm sure. not totally sure. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. It's more of a thing for the setting. But I mean, it would have been easy for him to just have like a filter on for the film right. to give it that Right, or in Suspiria, he's just like dropping red curtains around, right. <laughs> around the set just so things are red. Yeah, yeah, colors pop there. Do you think, uh, I guess later in the film, the red's mostly just blood, isn't it? Yeah, from what I remember. Okay. All right. But who knows? Who knows? Maybe there's some red I didn't catch. Same. Later that night, our main character, Marcus, meets his friend Carlo outside of a diner where Carlo works. We learn that they are both musicians, jazz pianists, 
and that Carlo is a drunk, essentially. Carlo says he plays piano for survival and Marcus plays for art. Their meeting is interrupted when Marcus hears glass shatter in an apartment above and they hear a woman scream prior to that. The killer has found Helga, the psychic, in her apartment, stabbed her and shoved her head through the window. Marcus witnesses this and runs into the building to try to stop the violence or catch the killer, but by the time he gets up there, the apartment is empty, or so he assumes. He looks out the window to see a figure in a brown trench coat walk by his friend Carlo out in the street. Uh, what did you think of this first kill, Ashvin? And then I have to ask the inevitable fo- inevitable uh, follow up if you <laughs> noticed something. It's one thing, yeah. Uh, no, I thought it was really anticlimactic. Uh, it's like she senses the killers behind the door, and then we don't really see much in terms of the kill. Um, so yeah, not a huge like suspenseful buildup or anything. Uh, I, I thought this was more just like kind of a, a plot point. Are you about to ask about the hat? A hat? Oh, I think you're gonna. What are you gonna ask about? Is there a hat too? <laughs> I think there's a hat involved in in this scene, isn't there? Hmm, I don't remember. I mean, is the ki- the killer's wearing a hat, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you want to? Yeah, you you and hats. <laughs> you wanted yeah. me to ask you if you thought the hat was a good addition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that's where we're going with this. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's have it. Uh, yeah, I, I I thought it worked with the raincoat. That's a, a good combination of uh, items there. It's a good look. Yeah. Well, there was a. Um, one of the paintings had something a little bit off about it. You noticed in this scene? I did notice in this scene, oh. but I wanted to know if you did as well. I didn't notice at all. What was it? Well, maybe I'll just reveal it later in the plot for oh, okay. <laughs> for our people who are just listening and not going to see the movie. Uh, all right. Wow. I'm surprised you picked up on something here. I'm extremely perceptive. Yeah. Damn. Paying attention. <laughs> I noticed that the painting in the bathroom was gone. <laughs> yeah. Someone took it away. <laughs> Um, yeah, also Helga, an important thing to note is that Helga hears the uh, music playing, the music from the first pre-credits kill, the children's music that's kind of eerie and creepy. Damn, I also missed that. Oh, okay, well that was pretty front and center, so okay, that's on you. Where was it playing from, like uh, the hallway outside her door? I don't, assumably, presumably, she didn't know where it was coming from, but... Okay. Yeah. All right. Or you know what? I think it was playing there, but she also heard it during her psychic spell. Yeah. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting confused. Maybe she only heard it during the psychic spell in the auditorium. Okay. I okay. thought maybe she heard it at the apartment, but now I'm getting confused. I might be right. Okay. Great job so far, team. Yeah. We're doing this. <laughs> Once the police arrive, Marcus asks if they took anything because he swears that one of the paintings is missing. Uh, So this is planting the seed for what's going to be a crucial plot point. In addition to Marcus and the police, a reporter comes on the scene by the name of Gianna. She takes Marcus's photo, and his name and face are in the paper the next day, and it is reported that he is a witness who may be able to identify the killer, which presumably puts a bit of a target on his back. Yeah, why would they do that? Right? (laughs) That's nonsense. Uh, Hey, with the conversation between... um, him and the police officer or him and Carlos the, did you feel like these were like really unstructured conversations that uh, just felt like dallying maybe like almost like improv conversations without like much meaning I didn't feel that way but I I feel like there's going to be a big difference between the way you and I perceive this movie not just because our brains work a little bit differently because but also because so many giallos have so much in common mm. So um, and I know to... there's somebody that we're pissing off every time we say Jalos instead of Jolly, but I don't care. Okay. Um, 
I'm still rolling with Giallo. <laughs> I, I feel like it's... Gialli is technically the plural of Giallo's, oh, of okay. Giallo in, in Italian. But Got it. the plural of pizza is pizza, and you don't call a pizza place and ask for three pizza. <laughs> you should. I don't know what you're <laughs> you, you get the giant, <laughs> the biggest eye roll on the other end of the phone. Yeah. Three pizzas, please. <laughs> <laughs> um... Wait, what the hell was I just talking about? Oh, uh, the, oh the conversation. Feeling very unstructured. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sure, maybe a little bit. Yeah, all right. Didn't stick out to me. Yeah, it's like a, it, it, that's what, kind of what it feels like. It's like very pointless uh, conversation that's like not really going anywhere, especially between him and the detective. I, it's like, I couldn't believe that was uh, even like in the script. That's <laughs> pointless. Marcus and Gianna have a strange love-hate relationship as they buddy up trying to get to the bottom of this murder, though Marcus's friend Carlo warns Marcus that he shouldn't be meddling in this and should just go back to England as he originally planned. Marcus originally had some trouble finding Carlo, but Carlo's eccentric mother, Martha, points him in the right direction to the address of Carlo's boyfriend. In this scene, Marcus also finds out for the first time that Carlo is gay, which doesn't really have much consequence, but... I think might I think we'll talk about that in the review a little bit about like why film theorists are so interested in mm. this movie. Later on Marcus is at home and hears the creepy children's music playing. He locks the door of the room he's in and when he hears someone in the house and on the other side of the door we hear someone whisper, "I'll kill you sooner or later." He's locked them out of the room he's in and they're thwarted, but I like they're that. Basically, like I'm coming for you. Yeah, I thought that was a decent like suspense build with like him on the piano and then hearing that music and you like know someone's out there in the hallway. Uh, we, yeah, we that just, was pretty we, suspenseful. Yeah, better than the first kill, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't think the first kill was as bad as you think it was. I mean, you you hear someone at the door. She's kind of stressed out. Then mm. you know the hatchet rises. I feel like you see some some contact there too. It's not like you don't see anything in that first. Sure, kill. sure. It's quick though. Yeah, yeah, it is quick. Okay. Um, so Marcus finds out that the psychic also heard the children's music during her vision at the conference. Um, and he does some investigating and finds out that there is a book of local folklore that includes a story about a haunted house where it is rumored you can hear children's music playing when you walk by. Marcus plans to find this house, but in order to do so, he wants to talk to the author. He goes to her a house to ask her about it, but before he can get there, the killer uh, has nearly drowned her, the author, in scalding water in a scene that reminded me a lot of Halloween 2, oh, that yeah. hot tub kill. Yep. I, and I think was influenced. By Halloween this. 2 was influenced, yeah. Okay. Um, as the author is dying from her wounds with her face all burnt up and everything, she starts writing something on the fogged up wall of the bathroom, the tile wall, but we cannot see what she writes. And the actress here claimed that Argento was almost drowning her. Oh, wow. And supposedly he's not the nicest director in the world. Yeah, so it's actually like, he's it's his hand, right, that that was shot here. Yeah, whenever the, the black color. gloves appear, it's it's Argento in the gloves. Yeah, that was a kind of a crazy shot. Like, uh, yeah, her head going into the water, coming out, going back in. Like, that was an interesting angle to shoot that at. Yeah, right, right. I mean, the camera it takes a lot of interesting angles. It moves a lot in this movie. I think that's another people, reason people are very interested in this film. Sure. Argento, speaking of him not being the kindest person, there's also a scene later where he sticks a needle through a lizard for no reason at all. Uh, did, uh, did you uh, notice that? I don't think so. Uh, man, but yeah. When when was that? 
Uh, it's when he uh, right before he like goes to the house. I'll, I'll mention it when we get there okay. in the walkthrough. I thought I thought oh no, that, I thought that was the girl, the little girl that did that to the lizard. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> oh. Argento literally did that to a lizard. Oh, you mean was, like behind the scenes, like it was him? It was real. Yeah, I mean uh, he he put a needle through a lizard and then damn. filmed it. Okay. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Um. So let's see. Marcus gets to the house and finds the author dead. And he doesn't even call the police, it's later revealed. <laughs> he instead uses the photo of the house from the Book of Folklore and manages to find the house that way. Hey, w- it, were you following like these clues at all? Were they, were they making sense to you? Like this Yes of- and no. Like I eventually caught up. Like theoretically, the plot kind of makes sense, but it's I was confused more than once in yeah. the plot. It, it makes very little sense. Was there something to do with plants? Because I thought for for a while he was talking to a bunch of gardeners, asking like who's, who sold the white. Yeah, I didn't even put that in the walkthrough, <laughs> but I think there was a tree in the picture of the house, and he thought he could identify the tree and where it grew. I, yeah. Then and, there's this whole montage of him like going to talk to gardeners yeah I, yeah i was i was confused many times in the movie same and and so the reason he goes or like he's looking for this house is because that song uh, is from that house there are several giant leaps in logic that the main character takes okay that may be more explained in the longer cut but you yeah. just kind of have to go along for the ride yeah he he assumes since there is a book of folklore about <laughs> a, song uh, a creepy house that has children's music playing that yeah. that is connected to these murders somehow. Jesus. Oh my god. <laughs> um so it's a yeah. it's there are some pretty big leaps. Yeah. It's just funny. I feel like a lot of times I watch a film and it doesn't make sense and I figure it's cuz I'm not paying attention. But this time it felt like uh it was more than that too. I think and it's a feedback loop too, because once stuff stuff like that starts to happen, you pay a little bit less attention, yeah. and then you're just like, "Well, now I don't even know what <laughs> the fuck is happening." Okay, so you felt like that too going through this. I did. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's good. Um, so he finds the house. It's creepy and abandoned. Uh, he finds a child's drawing in one of the rooms by chipping away at a layer of the wall to reveal it. The drawing shows a child holding a bloody knife over a dead body. But after Marcus leaves the room, we see another chunk of the wall fall away to reveal that there is a third person in the drawing, and this third person is the real killer. Of course, this part of the drawing was not seen by Marcus and is only revealed to us, the audience. Some dude named Giordani, who I haven't even bothered mentioning, (laughs) he also works in parapsychology, and he was there on stage when Helga had her vision. He's also helping in the investigation, and when he arrives at the scene of the author's murder, he realizes from the chalk outline of her body that it looks like she was writing something on the wall. He fogs up the bathroom to reveal writing that says, It was... dot dot dot. Giordani sees the name, presumably, but we as the viewer do not. Oh, so she did write a name. She didn't just write it was and died. Uh, yeah, she <laughs> she wrote it was and presumably wrote the name of the killer. Ah, uh, okay, okay. How she would know... Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know how she would know. So she wrote the book. She's the author of the book. Um and so she might know the characters cuz it's not like the killer's wearing a mask, right? Just a hat and a raincoat. But are you saying even she, like 
She could know. I, I'm piecing it together now. She could know. I feel like we don't want to reveal just yet. Theoretically, okay. maybe she could know if she wrote the book about the house. Yeah. Yeah, let's circle back on that. that right, right. Um, later that night, however, Giordani is confronted in his home by a robotic doll, which is just a distraction the killer uses to surprise him so that they can come at him while he's distracted and murder him. Uh, and that's what the killer does. Murders Giordani before he can tell anybody who the killer was. That was a really cool kill. What, what did you think of that one? That was pretty cool. And the doll is creepy. Yeah, the doll that comes out of nowhere. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why a robotic doll is incorporated <laughs> in this movie, but it's creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. So, so far the killer is going after everyone who's like uh, coming after its identity, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's, theoretically, the killer was done killing and has to do these to cover their tracks. tracks. Yeah. Right. All because of like some psychic picking up on the fact that this person is a killer. Like, yeah. From, yeah. Okay. Right. Everything was going fine until they <laughs> sat and I'm mean, honestly, if you're a killer, just don't go to those. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> just avoid things like that. Yeah. Um, let's see. So where are we in the plot? So yeah, Jordani is killed. Uh, the creepy doll comes at him to distract him. Uh, Marcus later is in the home of a child and father who helped him find the abandoned house and he sees a drawing. Oh yeah, this this girl is the little girl supposedly kills a lizard, which is a useless part of the movie. There's no reason to put that in there. I think it makes her seem a little sinister cuz like are, are you guessing uh, at this point like who you think the killer is? Yeah, I guess it makes her seem sinister, but boy, to just yeah. torture a lizard like that for Yeah, that's that's yeah. Uh hey, who's your guess at this point though? My guess as as to who the killer is. Yeah, I don't bother guessing with Jalo films anymore. I just, really? <laughs> yeah, maybe it's lazy, but I'm like, God. <laughs> they're gonna tell me at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll find <laughs> out. Just, my, yeah. my, I also just find my guessing is so bad. Like I never get uh, it right, so I don't bother anymore. Yeah, yeah, same. I, I've never gotten it right, but I think it's it's a fun part of it. Yeah, uh, which is weird because I should have known who it is, but we'll get to that. Oh yeah, right. So let's see. He, he finds a drawing that this girl made that is eerily similar to the drawing on the wall in the house. He asks her how she came to draw something that's nearly identical to this, and she said she found a drawing like this in her school's archives. So Marcus, with the help of the reporter Gianna, Gianna who's been largely absent since the beginning of the second act. That's who, she's been my uh, guess, number one yeah, suspect. In the European cut, there's a romance between them. Oh, okay. That gets largely cut out of the American version. Hmm. But anyway, the two of them rush to this school and start rifling through the archives. They find the drawing, and um, Marcus finally knows who the killer is. He doesn't tell us, but he knows. Gianna goes to call the police, but is stabbed by the murderer who is uh, in the school with them. It's revealed to us now that the murderer is Carlo. He holds Marcus at gunpoint, but the police arrive, and Carlo flees out into the street where he's hit by a passing garbage truck. He's dragged by the truck and eventually has his head driven over and gruesomely squashed. What did you think of this? <laughs> that was wild. <laughs> that was pretty wild and unexpected. Yeah, it was. like, Yeah, you're getting two like unexpected things here. Because one, you know the killer is in Carlo, right? Because we saw him when one of the killings was happening and we saw the killer right. walk by him. So you're exactly. kind of reeling from that. Like, why is he suddenly got this gun on him? And then, yeah, that, that killer is just like such a bizarre kill and pre- pretty well done, too. What, what did you think? It was well done, yeah. 
Uh, I don't know. I meant to research Carlo Rambaldi, who did the special effects, but I get the impression he's pretty highly regarded. Sure. Yeah, the, the practical effects are great. Yeah. Um, Marcus later realizes that the killer couldn't have been Carlo, like Ashwin <laughs> said, because Carlo was standing with Marcus in the street uh, when they heard the screams and then saw the psychic get murdered. So he rushes back back to the psychic's apartment, I guess, to try to piece everything together. And it is there he realizes that it wasn't the painting that was missing. He saw a mirror that he mistook for a painting, and he saw the killer's reflection in the mirror. Um, <laughs> but the killer is now in the apartment with him, and it is revealed to be Carlo's mother, Martha. And I saw Martha in the mirror. No way. When, yeah, but then I didn't... I kind of forgot about it, and I didn't recognize the face enough to be like, oh, Carla's mom, that's who was in the mirror. Wait, did you, Carlo's th- mom. did you think it was uh, a painting? No, I was like, hey, that was a mirror, and someone's in the apartment oh, with him. Okay. And then I just, I think, as we talked about, the plot was so confusing. <laughs> I just kind yeah. of forgot to, that I had this bookmark in my mind that was important. It was yeah. just like, oh, I don't know what's happening. It's almost like the film's purposefully, like, uh, going in all these different directions to, like, kind of make you forget. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I almost, like, immediately forgot about even the opening scene in this film. Uh, like, yeah, it goes down, like, so many different trails and, like, uh, yeah, different environments or, like, there's, like, a lot of space in, like, certain rooms where he's just walking around and you kind of forget, like, where you're even coming from in this movie. I think that is the movie's... One of the movie's biggest assets, and I think what a lot of people appreciate about the movie is that it's playing with perception, with the audience perception, with the character's perception, and it, it, it succeeds in weird ways because you didn't even notice. I noticed and then just dropped it out of my brain for some weird reason. Uh, so it's that weird thing we were talking about before where it's like, is he sloppy and nonsensical or does it all serve exactly the purpose that he wants it to serve? Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he's shown you the villain there, he's like confident that he's going to make you forget that you saw that until like the, the point where it's revealed. I mean, that's, yeah, it, it kind of seems like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Balls out on that, <laughs> yeah. that approach. Yeah. Damn. Um, so anyway, here's Martha squaring off with Marcus and we get a flashback uh, that reveals what was happening in that pre-credits scene. Uh, her husband is essentially talking about possibly putting her in an insane asylum, and she's not going to let that happen. So she stabs him and kills him right in front of Carlo when he was just a child and pay- playing his favorite children's record at the time. So that's why the song is so important, and she plays it sometimes before her kills hmm. to recreate the setting or whatever. Um, so yeah, she killed her husband, presumably to keep herself out of an insane asylum. So a battle ensues between her and Marcus. She stabs him with a meat cleaver, but he's still alive. And in the back and forth, Martha's necklace gets stuck in an old timey elevator shaft. Thinking quickly, Marcus pulls the lever to send the elevator down to the bottom floor. And this pulls on her necklace to the point that it pierces her neck and eventually decapitates her. And that is the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crazy journey, man. What a journey. Um, yeah. f- film theorists, I I don't know much about film theory, so I'm, I'm taking a walk out, of, out onto a limb here, but 
there's a few angles you can approach a movie from, one of which is feminist. And I think, like, looking at things through a feminist lens, and I think this movie has this weird argument between Marcus and Gianna about masculinity, and they arm wrestle, and he Mm -hmm. calls women weak. But then there's also a scene where he faints in the house when he discovers Carlo's dad's dead body and she pulls him to safety before the house burns down. Mm -hmm. And we assume a killer is a man and Carlo, but then later it's revealed that it's a woman. Yeah. So I feel like there's a lot to write papers on about gender roles through this movie. Is there a lot or is that it? Like what you just said, it's like that two sentences. That might be it. <laughs> I'm sure you could turn it into quite a, a lengthy essay. You could, yeah. I mean, because that's the only angle uh, I, I could think of. Like, if, if there's like a deeper meaning in here, maybe that's what it is. Is like playing uh, those gender roles against each other. Um, but I, I don't know how deep it is, though. Yeah, I'm not totally sure either. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you read some of this stuff, man, people people will take an idea and really mine it. Sure. Um, another approach is. Marxist film theory, kind of looking at things through the representation of power structures and class in film. Carlo talks about he plays for survival and Marcus plays for art. Yeah. Uh, They're doing all this outside of the, whatever you want to call it, the police, um, what's the military industrial? complex I, I suppose there's no police presence in the film oh yeah for most sure. of the time you mm-hmm. could read read into giallo films that way hmm. there's yeah. a psychoanalytic approach that emphasizes like freudian type stuff like the human psyche unconscious thoughts and desires things awakening which happens so often with these killers like sure something from the past is brought up and it sets them off yeah that trauma I, that one I, I feel like is a little weak because that would have made sense if Carlo turned out to actually be the killer because he was a kid he saw that happen and now uh, like he's haunted by this stuff and he always has to play that song to kill but all you have here is a killer who's just trying to cover their tracks so it, it's hard for me to think that there was uh, more to the psyche here than just not wanting to be jailed right but they also play that song oftentimes about when they're about to kill somebody or when she's about to kill somebody. So yeah, which clearly is, there's something going on with that moment echoing through time for them. Sure. For, so, so you think the mother had an emotional attachment to that song as well? Yeah, I do. And I mean, then Carlos, you know, covering his mom's tracks and how did that affect him and his psyche? He's a yeah. drunk now. And um, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. And he made this horrible drawing both on his wall and in class. You could also like psychoanalyze the viewer and how our how we perceive things in film and how our gentle toys with that. Sure, yeah, that's true. That's true. You, you could you could dive into a lot of that. I, I don't know though. I I struggle, man. I, I think it was just uh, maybe a little bit of shoddy filmmaking. Uh, yeah, I think I, honestly, I think that's a totally fair read too. So many Jalo films are just utterly messy. Right. Yeah. Poorly edited. Uh, did you feel like there was a lot of time? Of just uh, the main guy walking around spaces, uh, like the house, the school, and to, to like music, basically. Yes. And I think my chief complaint with this movie 
is that the main character is just going off on his own without really interacting with many people in a profound way. Right. Aside from asking a stranger a question every now and again. <laughs> like, we don't really get to know him. And our reporter, who could have kind of been like, could have been like a foil and a buddy cop type person for him, even though they're not cops, drops yeah. clean out of the movie. Right. At least from the U.S. cut that we watched on Shutter. So he's just such a weak uninteresting boring character aren't, aren't they all though don't care about him yeah uh, sadly yeah there aren't really many characters that we care about or that are interesting the most interesting character I would argue is the psychic who goes mm. right away yeah Carlo's interesting as well but he's not in the movie very much yeah I know I feel like there was more to him like so do you think there's a connection are they trying to make a statement so like uh, we know Carlo had this event as a kid and then yeah they go out of their way to show that like he's having this relationship with another man so do you think like they're trying to like tie those two things together somehow i don't know and i don't think so and my impression from what i've read is that argento is just like i have people like this in my life and i'm representing them on screen Hmm. um so good on him if that was his approach Uh, another lens to view to approach film theory is like through a queer lens so that was going to be another point i was going to make about carlo being gay you could you could read into this movie through that lens and through Jalo in general because I don't think that's unusual. Cat of Nine Tails also has an openly gay character, um, which as, I just as the villain as well, or um, or a villain. Well, I, I won't reveal, I won't spoil okay. that movie for people, but okay. Um, I I think that it's just inconsequential. Not that it's inconsequential; it's a big deal to have representation on screen in the 70s, but they are gay characters because they are gay. It's not like, in my mind, it's not like he's trying to connect the dots on anything or give you anything to read into. Mm, Okay. I couldn't tell if this was like 70s, uh, maybe like uh, shaming uh, him in a way because like we know he's like this troubled character just from like, yeah, we only meet like Carlo like two or three times. And each Mm -hmm. time, like the first time he's like really drunk, uh, second time, like you can't remember it too well, and then he kind of just goes missing, and then he's like all embarrassed about being caught there. So I, I felt like this was maybe like little, uh, yeah, like not, not doing any favors, uh, or like yeah, putting a negative light on, on that. Right, and it could have very well been, but it also humanizes him in a way, and he demeans himself when Marcus finds him like hungover in his boyfriend's house. He's like, mm. oh yeah, look at Carlo. Not only is he drunk, but he's also a yeah, a gay. He says a gay slur. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it could be portraying that in a negative light. Um. But then his partner is also very supportive and a loving character, and it's like I'm worried about him. So sure. Yeah, you could interpret that different ways. Okay. Yeah. You can. Yeah, you can that. go ahead and write a paper on that too. All right. <laughs> Opening Microsoft Word. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, they, yeah, you're right. They're, they're like little bits of things that come up here and there, right? I just don't feel like any thought was like followed. Uh, like so little of this film was like cohesive where like you feel like any thought uh, is like well followed or carried out or built out just like the characters. Like everything's like so thin and uh, so the pacing is just like so sporadic almost. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. Sometimes it kind of feels like you're just grabbing at straws here. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I'm just kind of trying to justify why this movie gets so much 
attention and is considered it's interesting too like it's considered the quintessential giallo film by many Mm. but quintessential doesn't necessarily mean best it just means like the most (laughs) typical example and i think a messy confusing disorienting narrative is part and parcel with giallo sure sometimes yeah and maybe italian horror in general remember zombie and the beyond from fulci those weren't giallo films but they were Similar in their narrative where it's just like, what's even happening? Sure. And yeah. Just like kind of went all over the place. Yeah, sure, sure. That makes sense. Uh, what do you think the title refers to, though? That's a good question. I thought maybe I read something about how they chose that, but now I'm not remembering. I don't think it really refers to anything. He was going to call it something about like a jaguar or cat, large cat, just to like keep up with the animal <laughs> theme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, I could see that jarring board of ideas so right, some animal yeah. thing or how about a color <laughs> do I do an animal thing <laughs> yeah the woodpecker of gore <laughs> yeah exactly oh <laughs> uh, that's great uh, yeah yeah I, I, I wish there was like some kind of connection to the title because you're right you have that opening scene that's very red uh, and then the, the rest of the film is, is like good looking and stuff but yeah you lose the red and so I'm not sure what the theme is there yeah. You mentioned the editing. I think that's another weakness of the film, and I have to wonder if it's due to the American version being cut up. Like, his other ones aren't this choppy. Like, um, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, mm-hmm. Tenebre, Cat of Nine Tails. They're all before this, and they're smoother and less incomprehensible. The sound editing especially was choppy here. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, like the score fades so abruptly in a moment when they transition from the killer's table of goodies to this farmhouse. There's a couple sequences where the killer's black gloves are just like looking over this table of like weapons and trinkets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but boy, does the goblin score really like... <laughs> <laughs> it's like really ripping during those scenes you're just like borderline <laughs> dancing on your couch you know, it's it's a great soundtrack I mean, yeah it just comes in at like the weirdest times and like it takes moving to a whole different like level yeah there's also some really weird cuts where like we suddenly cut to him buttoning up his shirt with gianna and <laughs> i forgot about that <laughs> that yeah. was like out of nowhere yeah. and she talks about him not being nervous anymore because his hands aren't shaking yeah and you couldn't even tell if they had just had some sort of romantic interaction or if right. she like, just was like, watching. come on, get ready so we can go <laughs> investigate. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's a weird cut. It is. I didn't pick up on any like romance between them, but you're saying in, in the European version there is? Yes, there is. Mm, okay. Damn. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I have a feeling the American version having 22 minutes dropped out of it is partly what made this such choppy editing. Dude, I thought we saw like a long version and like that's why uh, the pacing felt off and that uh, the shorter version would have like a lot of those scenes of him just walking around a house or school um, cut down. But that was the cut down version. That was the cut down version. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. That, yeah. that was like a half hour of him just like walking room to room with like <laughs> Goblin playing. That, that you, didn't bother you at all? I didn't notice. I mean, I, I didn't notice the pacing of like, oh my God, he's just walking around a room. <laughs> But I was just like, okay, this dude's just doing these errands and, like, we're barely even hearing him talk. Yeah, um, right. You're not developing the character at all. Exactly. 
and then the so and you, the story you're like we're meant to believe is that uh the mother kills the father the kid is traumatized he draws the a painting on the wall and then he also draws it at school but the wall gets covered up somehow this writer finds uh writes a story about it about this house but how did the writer know about the music that is almost impossible to figure out i think i mean <laughs> a murder happens in a house and there are rumors about it right okay so there you know people tell tales and the tall tales things get added how that music would become known by anybody else at that time yeah i don't know no one else was there to witness the murder that we right. know of so yeah. how would they know that the music was playing well, even the murder, like the body is still like buried behind this wall. So do people know that someone was murdered in that house or did he just discover that when he broke the wall down? Right. Exactly. Does anyone know what happened to Carlo's dad? Did they just assume he was gone? Right. And did the house fall into disrepair and yeah. just become eerie and people walked by and heard Carlo playing the music he loves, his mm. favorite children's record Yeah. and associated that with the creepy house. Interesting. Yeah, and then someone wrote a book on it. You really have to flesh a lot of it out on your own. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 uh, it's hard to tie this one together. Back to that Goblin score. I well, I think we both agree it's a pretty cool score. Do you think it was at home here in this movie or not necessarily? Uh, it's it's it wasn't at home, but the movie was like so kind of like slow and boring at points that when it does kick in and it's kind of like dancey, I appreciate it. But it was like a whole different tone compared to like where the movie was. Uh, what, what did you think? I agree. And he asked Goblin to make the score before they had even seen the movie. So oh my God. that's no a way. partial explanation. Uh-huh. But it's not unlike Italian horror to have stuff like this. Like in Zombie and the Beyond, we talked about it just like all of a sudden, just like funky ass music playing. Yeah. But it fit better there when we're watching like a spider eating a person's face or an yeah. eyeball being impaled by a zombie slowly. Oh, yeah. Like, weird-ass shit was happening on screen. Yeah. But since Argento is a bit more focused with his kills, and you don't... It's not that you see nothing, but Fulci, like, really lays it on thick, and it's like, now you're going to watch for five solid minutes as this right. gore just keeps unfolding and spewing forth. Right. Argento doesn't do that, so the funkiness doesn't really match <laughs> up with, like, yeah. here's some weird shit. But... It often starts playing, too, before you even know something suspenseful is going to happen. Oh, uh, sure, yeah. Like, especially with the robot doll kill, the guy's just in his house, and then all of a sudden it's like, and it's just yeah. like, well, I guess something's going to happen yeah, because things coming. are getting real funky real fast. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting choice of when it came in and when, when it came out, and then, yeah, crazy vibe to it. Like, I will go listen to this score at work this week and just <laughs> <laughs> jam out to it. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I don't I don't think it was the best fit for this movie. I agree. I agree. Uh yeah, a better score could have been done here. It, w- it would have really added to the film. Yeah. Uh, what else? What else? There's very little justification for Marcus to be doing any of this. He says he he has some like feeble comment about his morbid curiosity or it's like a puzzle and he likes puzzles, but there's just no reason for him to be investigating all this. Uh, the only reason I could think of was like there was a death threat, like like that the killer was coming after him because he was in the paper, and so I thought he was doing it to like you know he's got to find the killer before the killer finds him and kills him. Yeah, I suppose, but he also just could have like 
left the country. Like, <laughs> I think he was like meant to leave the country anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That would have been a good time to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some positives about the movie? Um, yeah, I, ju- I, I thought just the visuals uh, were pretty well done and the practical effects were really good and Goblin soundtrack cool but not aligned. Uh, but that's about it. What, what about you? Yeah, I thought the visuals were really cool. The architecture is always really intriguing to me. With It just makes his movies very beautiful. Yeah. Um, there's also just a few shots that are really cool and iconic and I'm sure people who are really into composition and photography could just eat them up. Um, like there's one with a blade rising right in the center of the screen. I can't remember. I think that was the robot kill, just like a really cool symmetrical shot. Um, the killer lurking in the shadows behind the author in her little farmhouse was a really cool shot. Oh, it's yeah. like kind of a silhouette behind her. Mm-hmm. After Marcus found the dead body, there's a cool shot where we see his silhouette in the foreground and the body in the background. There's just a lot of shots, like that single like seconds or two in the movie or frames where I'm just like, that's really, really appealing. Yeah, Argento knows how to put, get a good shot. I, I feel like a lot of uh, you could take a lot of stills from these movies and they'll yeah. like stand alone pretty well. For sure, there's a site called FilmGrab.com that I think Blake told me about. I want to say it's like Film-Grab.com. That's just like a database of cool shots from movies, just like oh, okay. cinematography, and it's. I bet there's a lot of beautiful photos on that. Sure. Site. Yep. Yeah, I bet. A deep red, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, man. Anything else, or should I jump to the rating? Uh, I think uh, that was everything I had. I, okay. I mean, I guess, oh, the, the one other positive thing, I, it was a decent twist. Like, I didn't guess that woman. I, I, I guessed other people, but not, not her. It's like, that coming by surprise. Great thing to bring up. It is a cool twist, and it's a cool, like, little false ending here with, oh, Carlo's the killer, and now he's dead, but wait. That that wasn't entirely true. So yeah, like it that. is cool. And it's a cool deception. I mean, and we're kind of brushing it aside, but he tricked both of us in two different ways. And I don't know. I have a tough time being like, oh, you know, whatever. It's because the movie was so confusing that I just stopped caring. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. That's one way to do it. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But who, who am I to, to belittle that power of deception as well? Sure. <laughs> if you want to uh, confuse someone just bore the shit out of them right, exactly <laughs> alright well zero out of five unnecessary lizard murders what do you give this movie uh, so yeah I landed at two and a half uh, unnecessary murdered lizards uh, again you know I really appreciated the production elements the camera work uh, the, the color palette in the background some beautiful shots as you mentioned but yeah the uneven pacing kind of killed it for me the thin characters and the plot was just way overcomplicated. It just made for kind of a rough viewing for me. Uh, what about you? I'm I'm right there too. I'm right there with you. Two and a half out of five unnecessary lizard murders. I, I feel like Deep Red may be the quintessential giallo, but that does not mean it is the best. Nor does even Jar- Argento's best. Hmm. And while its flimsy narrative is typical of the genre, its biggest flaw to me is its utterly lackluster main character. Ah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel yeah. like had he been more interesting, I I would have stuck, stuck with it more, and and maybe yeah. even understood the plot a little bit better. For sure. Yeah. 
uh yeah i mean we really knew anything about him i mean he had a scene where he's like uh, working on like a music composition which gave I, I think a little bit of depth to his character but yeah otherwise he got nothing i have to wonder if that longer cuts more intriguing Oh man, could you watch another twenty minutes of this film? <laughs> yeah, in a few, in a few years, when I have kind of forgotten about this movie, I'll, I'll go back and watch the longer one. I assume it's just more of him exploring different places. I think the there dollar. might even be a love scene or something. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, it was kind of weird not to have one in a in a jalo. I was kind of expecting one. Yeah, I, yeah, right. I, there typically is a bit of a love interest. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. at least a femme fatale type character. But sure, yeah, it's a strange place to cut. Yeah. All right. Anything else, man? That's all I got. Okay. Well, that is it for our episode on Deep Red. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. If so, feel free to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you are a crazy Argento Deep Red fan and you've got beef with us, feel free to comment on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or join our Discord server. You can find all those links on the social links dropdown on our website, horrormovieclub.com. While you're at HorrorMovieClub.com, you can also find a big orange button to join our Discord server. Um, what? No. The big orange button is for Patreon, so you can support us for a dollar a month uh, and gain access to some bonus content. Let's see. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. You can Google Horror Movie Club Coaster Set to get some great uh, fan art from her. And let's see. What else? I guess until next time, if you walk into a crime scene and find an extremely realistic painting of a human being that does not seem to match any of the other art in the room, I'd go ahead and assume that this is a living, breathing person (laughs) that is simply standing still. (laughs) It's called a mirror. (laughs) (laughs) Good Lord. I can't believe you saw her in the opening. That's that's incredible. Yeah, but I mean, kudos to Argento for for tricking all of us. Yeah, I'm going to go back and check that out. Auteur theory is another lens you can uh, really dig into film theory through. I don't even understand if I'm talking about film theory correctly in the first place. <laughs> Auteur theory? Argento, I think, is an auteur. I, basically a director who is that does things such his own way. This is my understanding of it, that he is considered the author of the film. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Rather than a collaboration with the screenwriter or anybody else. Sure, yeah, it's a singular vision. Sure, makes okay. sense. Okay.